anyways, let's go ahead and get started. Um, welcome to uh, another um, session in our uh, series, Theologies of Transformation and Actions for Justice. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Slaybaugh. I'm the co-director of Interfaith Action uh, in the area of programs and operations. Um, and tonight we are talking about our fifth Interfaith Action principle, um, which I'm really excited about, um, which means we, we have reached the halfway point. We have 10 Interfaith Action principles um, and we're at number five. So we're moving, moving along. Uh, last month, uh, the Reverend Dr. Sid Moan, my colleague and co-director of Interfaith Action, uh, Save Sakala of the Islamic Association of Southwest Michigan, and Jatinder Singh of the Sikh Religious Society of Michigan led us in a conversation on our fourth Interfaith Action principle on how life together forms and transforms us. And tonight we have the privilege of welcoming Pastor Jay Fast, a pastor at Harbert Community Church to give a reflection on our fifth interfaith action principle on peacemaking. Pastor Jay has served at Harbert Community Church since 2014. And prior to his ministry there, Pastor Jay served at churches in Illinois, Indiana, and Massachusetts. Uh, Jay, I took the liberty of looking on your Meet the Staff page, and I, I noticed that there was a quote that I thought was relevant for our discussion tonight, and it was part of um, what compels you to ministry uh, and that was um, that you're compelled by the message of God's love for a broken world in need of healing and transformation. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And I think that's really relevant to uh, this message of uh, peacemaking, of God bringing peace uh, so that we can have it amongst ourselves um, and with God. Um, but now I'm going to share, before I turn it over, you to, over to you, Jay, I'm going to share the principle on my computer so you can all have a look at, at it here. Just give me a moment. Here we are. All right. Can you all see this? Yes. All right. <laughs> So this is the principle we're talking about uh, this evening. In our common life as communities of faith, we affirm that we are to be bearers of peace. In that commitment, we work to counter violence in homes, within communities and amongst nations. We are concerned with the proliferation of weapons which destroy the sanctity of life. Mm. I'll post that in the chat as well. Um, I'm a visual person, so combing over these is helpful to me. But um, at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Jay, who's going to talk for maybe 10 or 15 minutes on uh, what stands out to him in this principle, and then we'll have a group discussion on it. So again, thank you, Pastor Jay. Thank you. Uh, thanks for giving me this chance to share with you. And I had noticed uh, at one point it said five to 15 minutes, which is a very wide range but uh, happy to be able to share and share at least my perspective as well as from my faith tradition. And then um, I recognize that there may be a diversity of beliefs here and uh, encourage that, that's a good thing. Um, my background, I was born into a Mennonite family with a tradition of pacifism. Uh, this was part of my early upbringing though. And so I don't even really remember being taught a coherent 
theology of pacifism, but it's something that ran in my blood for generations. Uh, I've since found a home in uh, a denomination a church uh, called the Evangelical Covenant Church, often which goes by Covenant Church, especially in today's day and age. Uh, it's historically been a church or a denomination that's hasn't really been leaning right or left politically, but uh, is diverse and seeking to be biblically centered uh, in the Christian uh, scriptures, though at times leaning one way or another on current issues. Uh, it's a denomination with Swedish beginnings. Uh, today, it's a denomination, though, that's racially and ethnically diverse and seeking reconciliation and racial righteousness in our world. At the present, uh, regarding the topic of war and gun violence, I find myself personally on a spectrum somewhere between pacifism and also using violence sparingly or as a last resort. Uh, these are my personal convictions and why I hold them with sincerity of faith. When it comes to public policy, I recognize that we are also a pluralistic democracy ruled by a majority and that there's a necessity of working in areas where we can find common ground for the common good. As we approach tonight's topic of countering violence and promoting peace, one of the key starting points for me is found in the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is a word often translated as peace in uh, the Christian scriptures, but as most of you are probably aware, it's a word that encompasses a wide-ranging definition of peace. Peace is sometimes narrowly defined as the absence of conflict or the absence of war, but the view of shalom is more broadly defined as wholeness or being complete. I... Uh, the, the word or the verse that you mentioned, Steve, uh, from John uh, was Jesus saying, I've come that they may have life to the full, uh, which for me is a description of that kind of shalom. Shalom is the ideal for the flourishing of all human life and creation as well. Early in scriptures, there's the story of brother killing brother. The blood of Abel is described as crying out from the earth. And for me, this is a reflection of our story and our reality of the world in which we live, though perhaps and certainly magnified by the types of weapons at our disposal, uh, from the war in Ukraine to mass shootings, uh, recently ones in Uvalde, Texas, and in Highland Park, Illinois. Shalom is broken. Uh, yesterday, again, and today making headlines, the Greenland Park Mall in Indiana, where shoppers lost their, their lives. From the bullet-riddled body of Jalen Walker in Akron, Ohio, to police patrolling streets with fear, shalom is broken. Shalom is broken by violence in our communities and is broken again when school children are asked to participate in active shooter drills during a normal day of school. One of the responses to broken shalom within the Christian scriptures is lament. Lament is bringing and expressing griefs and sorrows to God. For many of the issues of our day, I, for many of the issues of our day, I find lament to be a good starting place for conversation. Lament allows us to express our fears and explore the depths of our brokenness together. Lament invites us into compassion and empathy 
where we can unite in shared humanity. I think lament is a place where we can find common ground. In my own congregation, when there are mass shootings and in the face of war, uh, we offer prayers of lament. Uh, we do so in our email chain. We do so on Sunday mornings. Uh, during the war uh, and the invasion against Ukraine, uh, we've had a prayer board where people can express their prayers and their laments uh, for that situation. Likewise, we can lament that there are over six kids killed each day by guns and over 2,300 children and teenagers ages zero to 18 per year. We can lament the number of kids killed by guns since Sandy Hook surpasses that of US soldiers killed in overseas combat since 9-11. We can lament that 45,000 people complete suicide with a gun in our country each year. We can lament that the percentage of veterans who complete suicide with a gun is disproportionately higher than the rest of the adult population. There's many things that we have to lament. And these were some things that I've found in a book titled Beating Guns, Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. And so I shared those with you. Throughout the scriptures of the Christian faith, God is one who desires a world of shalom and is working and inviting us to do the same. It's a shalom or wholeness, not only of one's inner state of being, peace of mind, but also between humankind and God and all of creation, created in God's image with, and tasked with stewarding the earth. With regard to warfare and violence, the book of Isaiah describes a vision of the future where fighting has ceased, as Isaiah chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 states, and I'll share that here. God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A beautiful vision. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Here we find both a vision of the future, where war and violence are no more, and an invitation to work toward that vision in the immediacy of today. It says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Likewise, the message of Jesus and the Christian scriptures and of his followers and the writings of the early church is one of love and peace. Jesus says things like, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He says to turn the other cheek and to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus also comes teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God, a kingdom not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not a kingdom where there's clear lines of who's in and who's out. It's not like the kingdoms of this world where laws and rules are enforced, but one of love and grace. It's a kingdom of invitation to a different way of life in the spirit of Jesus, defined by his lordship and the ways of heaven come to earth. Jesus practices nonviolence, tells his disciples and Peter to put away his sword when he's arrested by force. Jesus then also makes a spectacle of the cross, a symbol of violence intended to invoke fear and subjugation. Later, his disciples find meaning in his death and resurrection, saying, things such as perfect love casts out all fear and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So from my tradition of faith as a follower of Jesus, I wrestle with two tensions 
when it comes to my personal position on countering violence and promoting peace. And this first tension is deeply personal. While the ideal is shalom, I still ask, how do we live in a world where shalom is broken? And sometimes it seems like we must choose between the lesser of two evils. While I do not personally own or carry a gun, if I witnessed someone actively threatening or taking the lives of other, I would call upon a law enforcement officer who carries a gun and has been trained to use it. I might also use force for the sake of another if it seemed necessary in preserving one's life. While I believe the goal is always peaceful de-escalation of violence, sometimes violent offenders to me must be stopped before others are hurt. So the ideal for me is Shalom. I also understand the author of Ecclesiastes who seems to be a bit of a realist and maybe a pessimist at times, observing that there is both a time for war and a time for peace. This first tension in which I find myself is sometimes described in the tradition of my faith as living in the now but not yet kingdom of God. So praying the prayer of Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and living to this end, but also recognizing that we live in a world of tension that is uh, still not fulfilled. The second tension is the question of how to engage with my personal and religious convictions in the public square. There is a tension even within my faith between individual freedom and when that freedom crosses the line as an infringement on the freedom and flourishing of others. As stated in the book, Beating Guns, one person's freedom can become another person's oppression. One person's freedom can become another person's oppression. So finding the line is particularly challenging on this topic for me of violence caused by guns. While I have no desire to possess a gun, I know others who are, who seem to be responsible gun owners who have chosen differently. I know some who are hunters. I know others who have served in the military and still sometimes enjoy target practice. Others I know have been trained to carry and have law enforcement training. In a society that respects individual freedom, the question for me, or one of the questions is, when does that freedom become an endangerment to others and one's self? I'm personally glad for recent gun legislation that has been passed by Congress and the president. I believe there's more that can be done. Uh, I suppose it's not for me uh, to list the things that I would like to see, uh, but there are many. In closing, related to my perspective of faith, even though we can and must do better, I'm encouraged by the often repeated refrain in scripture where people are told, be not afraid. This applies to those who are afraid of restrictions on their guns. It also applies to those who fear in a country where mass shootings and loss of lives to gun violence and the news have become the norm every day. I'll close with some Psalms. Psalm 27 declares, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And likewise in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Uh, that's all that I have to share. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Thank you so much for that uh, very thoughtful 
reflection on uh, this topic of uh, violence and promoting peace. Uh, there was a lot in there. Um, so I, I want to open up to the group at this point. So if anyone has any uh, questions or, or thoughts on uh, on Pastor Jay's reflection, um, please feel free to share. Yeah, Rob, Robert. Hey, Robert, I think you're muted. Sorry. Hey, there we go. Okay. First of all, uh, I'm Bob Flesvig, Harbor Community Church. Jay is my pastor. And I want to thank you for picking up this subject. First of all, I want to make sure that everyone is registered to vote. And if you're not, please do. I think our democracy is in jeopardy. Uh, also, please ask 10 or 100 people to register to vote. Protect our democracy. Thank you for talking about guns. I change the dialogue from guns to assault weapons. If we just talk about guns, you're going to lose half of the population of the country. The hunters, you're going to lose people that are hunters, enjoy it, and don't want anything to do with assault weapons. I am a former hunter. I have hunted, killed, dressed, eaten deer. If you think that's gross, I ask you to think about a hamburger starts with a gunshot to the head that had a mother. To change the dialogue, because uh, assault weapons are without any redeeming quality. And hunters uh, don't want anything to do with it. We went after alcohol in the prohibition and it failed miserably and made things worse. Ask us to go after assault weapons, not just guns. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Larry, did you want to add to that or ask a, a different question? Yeah, I, I'd like to say a couple of things. Um, first of all, thank you, Pastor, for those very enlightening and helpful words. Um, in Jewish tradition, in addition to Shalom, we talk about tikkun olam, repairing the world, and feel like we are called to action, as, as is interfaith action. Um, one of the other groups that I belong to is ALPAC, which is police officers and community groups coming together to try to make the community a better and safer place. And I recently proposed a resolution asking ALPAC to, in the spirit of its mission, improving the safety and well-being of the community 
to endorse specific gun violence prevention measures that have been um, researched and for which there is considerable evidence that when implemented, good things happen. That proposal is going to be discussed at the next ALPAC meeting, which is a week from tomorrow, the 26th, at 9.30 a.m. And anyone from the community is invited to uh, participate in that meeting. I hope some of you will do that. Um, I know Sid Moan and I will be there along with a number of others who feel like it's necessary for individuals and groups of people to say, this is too much and we need to do something about it. Hopes and prayers for victims are a good thing to do, but we need to do more. So those are my thoughts. Uh, thank you for the thoughts of everyone and Pastor Jay, your presentation. Uh, I chair the Berrien County Board of Health, and we uh, see it as um, really, you know, when you look at the number of gun-related deaths that, that are the result of suicide, the, the number that you mentioned, Jay, um, and you look at the New York Times this week had something with, or last week with where the gun deaths were in Chicago and it directly overlapped poverty. And so from, um, from the standpoint of what we're working on is poverty is a good indicator of where there is, um, where there will be gun deaths. So. That's my neighbor by neighbor. That's what that's what we're looking at, you know, to avoid avoid those gun deaths. I don't think it really to me it doesn't matter what kind of gun. It's more a matter of equity for all that we treat everyone as a child of God. So that that would go a huge way to making a change in my mind. Thank you, Peg. Uh, Sid, were you going to say something? Sorry, I noticed. Um... Uh, yeah, I was uh, just going to add to uh, Peg's comments that uh, when we f did our first uh, gun violence symposium, uh, which was uh, co-hosted by uh, All Pact, that Larry referenced, but also by the Berrien County uh, Department of Public Health. And uh, after uh, that symposium, we developed a byline for uh, our gun policy, which was entitled, Love Our Children uh, More Than Our Guns, illustrating the fact that uh, then as now, uh, gun violence is the primary cause of mortality for children. Uh, then uh, gun violence was the second uh, uh, area of uh, mortality for adolescents. 
uh, over the past year, it has moved to be the primary cause of mortality uh, for adolescents. So whether looking at this from a faith uh, perspective or from a public health uh, perspective, uh, the conclusions are, are quite uh, similar uh, and uh, a need to look at uh, policy remedies that uh, diminish uh, the loss of life uh, by gun violence. Uh, Jay, I, I wanted you to reflect just a bit more on the tension that you so ably articulated. And uh, I was also uh, formed in an Anabaptist uh, community and came to define myself as a pacifist. I was someone who began to even oppose uh, just war uh, concepts, uh, feeling that uh, they were, were too moderate in, in uh, their expression. Uh, can you hear me again? My computer keeps uh, clicking out. Yeah, yeah, you're back, Sid. Okay. Um, I currently coordinate uh, weekly uh, prayers for Ukraine on behalf of interfaith action. And uh, as from week to week to month to month, we pray for peace in Ukraine. I feel this conundrum as a self-defined pacifist and the initial outrage I felt at the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But now, as I look at the fact that the world is a loser, uh, Russia is a loser, Ukraine is a loser, the extraordinary loss of life, the loss of entire communities, <clears throat> the cost of rebuilding. Uh, I'm again kind of struck whether a more rugged pacifism uh, may be a commitment to continue to uphold. How do you think about that, uh, Jay? Yeah, that's really challenging, and I wrestle with that also, Sid. Um, I and I felt and I continue to feel the outrage of what's happened, but I'm not sure uh, what the answers are really um, for, for me. Um, Gosh, it's and I, I think uh, again for me, it's looking at what is the ideal and, and what is the good, but then trying to live in a world where that isn't the reality. Um, and so uh, 
it's complex for me. And uh, I guess for me, it leads towards the hope still of uh, my, my regard for humanity is that we still need salvation. <laughs> we, we, we aren't there yet. We still need uh, help. And uh, um, so, and it seems like the rulers and powers of this world historically and right up to the present. And as far as I can see going forward, I, I have concerns that uh, I, I don't know if they'll get it right <laughs> uh, because, because it seems like positions of power ultimately allow for um, people take power by force often. And uh, so it, it's a, a world that is, is messy. I don't know, Sid, yeah. Well, thank you at least for adding unproductive power into the conversation because uh, uh, perhaps is the biggest impediment to peace. So, um, are there any other reflections on um, on on Jay's talk? Um, if not, I have a couple related questions for the group. But if there's any burning questions, I want to get to those first. I don't have a question, but I want to thank Jay. Um, very thought provoking um, in terms of your remarks, Jay, um, especially around uh, shalom and lamentation. And um, I also want to add to what Rob said, because whether we're talking about gun violence or whether we're talking about corruption of power um, and war, the only way any of that is going to change is if we go to the polls and vote and we get involved in the process as messy and as ugly and as offensive at times as it is. Uh, the only way that um, we will change the law relative to assault weapons, relative to guns, relative to um, human rights is by voting. So that's what I wanted to say. I do, I do have something I wanted to add. Um, as uh, a former retired organizational psychologist, I'm, I'm always drawn to ask the systemic questions about why, why are, why is this such a problem? And I was especially struck by the um, data that was presented in the New York Times. Um, and I don't know how to put it into chat, but, uh, and, and, and this one datum, uh, from 1998 to the year 2019, it shows the number of mass shootings that occurred in every one of the Western, uh, our Western culture. And those ranged for, from United Kingdom all the way up to France, from one to eight numbers mass shooting, except for the United States, we had 101 during that period. And then another graph that showed the number of uh, gun ownership and homicide 
rates in, in countries. And it was a similar kind of thing. There's a little cluster of countries right around the bottom left and then way up on the top, the number of shootings and the number of deaths. There is something systemic about our culture. And I often feel that we're trying to patch the, the leaks here and there, and, and, and let's get us a little bit closer. And thoughts and prayers, and um, the the attempt to uh, uh, to demonize the the right or 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 the left uh, on both sides. Um, it has it's futile. Um, so how I, there's something about um, uh, a conversion that needs to be done for our for individuals and for our societies for families a conversion of heart and spirit that is so much against um the it's like swimming upstream culture and so the question to me always is how can i learn to respectfully accept Though the, the, the needs, this kind of like fierce independence, nobody can tell me what to do, aspect of my friends and neighbors and fellow worshipers and, and, um, and somehow address that uh, in, in individuals and in our, in our groups. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, thanks, Ron. I what sticks out to me about what uh, you just added there was, you know, we've we've talked a bit about how, as people of faith, uh, our faith traditions give us visions of peace, uh, even even the promise of peace in our in our current current moment. Um, but what you've added, I think, is that there are places here and now where there is that there that there is peace, or that there is not gun violence to the extent that there is in the United States where there is not war, where there is reconciliation after a brutal history of uh, racism or colonialism, and that we can actually learn from one another in this moment about what that kind of peace might look like here and now. And that's a powerful witness. And also uh, it, it's the power of, of hope, I think, in, in this present context that, that there is something else um, that, that God has for, for us in the here and now. But um, I, I wanted to, oh, uh, unless you, Sid, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I, I'd ask uh, Jay to provide a comment or two because I think uh, uh, Jay, your reference to this dialogue between my rights and how my rights may infringe or create the oppression of others. And you talked about uh, morphing my rights into our collective uh, common good. And it seems that uh, that concept uh, has direct bearing on, on kind of uh, the issue that uh, Rob uh, just uh, raised. Right. Yeah, I think, and, and this is where I think lamenting with people is a starting place uh, because I, I think that there may be people who, um, 
we can grieve together and we can look at the problem together, but then, um, then say, what are we going to do about it? People who want to be gun owners, uh, what are we going to do about it? Uh, those of you who are uh, concerned with your rights also, but what are we going to do about it? Um, mm -hmm. And and so uh, there's things that we could do that get blocked. I, I think there could be more public health studies that are done looking at what we can do too, uh, whether that's related to, and there's different categories, mass shootings, there's um, suicide, there's um, um, other homicides and accidental shootings and uh, involving children. There's a lot of different areas uh, and it may mean inconveniencing people uh, would be a start uh, as far as loss of the individual rights meeting uh, communal flourishing in the common good, uh, inconveniencing with uh, greater background checks or, or potentially with uh, it seems that the number of um, mass shootings, again, it was a, I think it was a 20 year old in, uh, in the Indiana mall shooting. Uh, so there seems to be a lot of uh, people under 21 and younger uh, committing these mass shootings, but uh, so making people accountable for their guns and if they're used by someone. Uh, so gun safety, uh, there's a whole lot of things that I think could be done in programs and, and ways of uh, minimizing or lessening, but it, but it's going to require maybe some sacrifice or some some work, uh, and and some some giving up uh, by by people. I think that that Bob Flusvig would does not necessarily mean giving up your hunting rifle. <laughs> it doesn't mean uh, you know so and to dispel those fears, but. Um, but the, the sacrifices may be in other ways. Mm -hmm. uh, June was uh, gun violence prevention uh, Sabbath for uh, congregations uh, and faith communities uh, around the country. If you missed that, um, I will add the resource uh, to the link here that Interfaith Action has developed. You can do that at any point in the year. Um, it's always good to draw attention to um, the uh, the, the horrible uh, and tragic uh, truth of gun violence in our communities as we work towards peace. Um, before we wrap up uh, in just a few minutes here, um, we, you know, we've talked about gun violence. We've talked about uh, the war in Ukraine. I wanted to know before uh, we wrap up, if there are any other um, areas of violence in our homes or communities or nations that we haven't talked about tonight and uh, how we can counter that violence as people of faith. Well, Stephen, I, th I think this is Gene. If you look at the num at how gun deaths occur, and if you equate gun deaths with violence, which I think is fair. Uh, aside from uh, the, the top areas are always uh, suicide, accidental shootings, often involving children, and domestic violence. Uh, and we haven't really talked, I, I think domestic violence is another area where 
where we as people of faith have something to say about i mean it all comes down to um uh improving uh human relation relationships i, I know i'm a gun owner so i sometimes you know I'm, uh, rub shoulders with uh, other gun owners and those they fall into a couple of categories there are people like me i like to occasionally shoot um and even go hunting um but then there are people uh like my nephew who keeps a loaded uh 45 caliber on the top of his refrigerator uh out of fear and he you know there are other people like that who can't seem to grasp the idea that um that using a firearm is not the way to solve a, a disagreement or you know or that they're somehow you know in danger of an intrusion or, or something of that sort but anyway all that falls into domestic violence, obviously spousal violence, and uh, uh, you know the, you have these other uh, situations. So I'll just throw that out for further consideration. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Gene. Anything else that comes to mind? That was a really significant one. Yeah, thanks, Gene, for sharing. I, I just add, uh, based on what uh, the statistics uh, Gene provided, as well as the statistics that Jay provided around uh, the mass shootings correlated with uh, males under the age of uh, 21. Uh, there has been some uh, research into the profiles of uh, those males, which suggests that uh, uh, they have been uh, bullied or ostracized for uh, much of their lives, uh, particularly in school settings, so that uh, they feel they have no social supports whatsoever. And uh, there is nothing to lose uh, because they have no community. And so another challenging aspect uh, for us to look at as a society as how we respect difference, how we build uh, communities of belonging, uh, where, where folks uh, with uh, differing perspectives, differing abilities, uh, differing uh, backgrounds do feel a sense of uh, value. And I think for us as men who are on this call, uh, the data that 90% uh, of mass shootings are by uh, males. And so for us in faith communities, uh, what is our faith formation of males? Uh, does it require of us? Yeah, thank you, Sid. And I don't know if you had intended to answer that question of uh, how do we counter violence? Maybe that was intentional, um, but just uh, mm -hmm. by building those communities of belonging, of friendship, 
you know, oftentimes I don't know if we think about that as being how we counter violence in our communities, but based on what you said, um, when people don't feel that they have that support, they have nothing to lose, um, that that can be a part of the drive in those situations. So just as a people of faith to, uh, to be open in their communities, to be welcoming, to seek out friendships uh, with uh, those who are alone, uh, can actually be uh, powerful examples, uh, maybe on the personal level, the communal level, but um, so much to do on the, uh, the, the political level as well. So, but it is also uh, 6.46 in these sessions uh, go from six to 6.45, um, but this has been a very rich conversation and uh, especially thank you, thanks to you, Pastor Jay. So thank you for your reflection um, and thank you everyone for attending tonight and sharing your thoughts on, uh, on this uh, fifth interfaith action principle. Um, our next session is going to be in the month of uh, September. These are monthly, but we're going to take off the month of August, come back together in September and talk about uh, our, our next Interfaith Action Principle. So we'll, we will advertise that in our email, which um, I imagine a lot of you found in order to get here. So, um, but anyways, thank you all for uh, being here and we'll, um, we'll see you in uh, September, we hope. <laughs>